0: They were knockoff schmooze, exactly. And I, I did and not it. Gloop and Gleep like were in it. a
1: corner crying. Right! Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. Howdy. Very short and to the point, Alex Jowski.
2: (laughs) Yes, Alex Jowski is here.
1: What was the goofy giggle for? Uh, Nothing. Alex, can you please do the Adam and Eve promo, and then we'll get into our topic, which will be a little different for this show.
2: Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, you'll get 50% off a single item, three free DVDs, Free shipping in the U.S. and a free mystery gift for using the promo code DROME, adamandeve.com.
1: Now, what we're going to do tonight is a little different for the style of Radio Drome. We're not going to be doing a retrospective, but we're going to look at the career of Robin Williams, the highlights and the lowlights. And trust me, there's plenty on both sides. We're not going to be talking about his suicide. We're not going to be talking about his personal life, except for there's a couple of times where That matters with the movie but overall we're not gonna be talking about that let's look back at Robin Williams now when you when you think of Robin Williams as an actor what's the what's the defining role for you when it comes to Robin Williams
2: that is tough I'm gonna go with Mork because that's where I I first met him was watching bunch of Mork and Mindy on Nick at Night I watched it so much and I enjoyed it. And then I would see, you know, he'd pop up in movies here and there. And my sister and I'd be like, look, it's Mork in a movie.
0: I also discovered him with with Mork and Mindy. For me, uh, the definitive would have to be uh, Good Morning Vietnam because it showed how he could be really off-the-cuff funny but then switch it and be totally serious. And not a lot of people can do it quite as well as he was able to do it. And see, for me, I'm going to kind of go
1: backwards. Obviously, I first encountered him on Happy Days and then as Mork and then later Mork and Mindy. In retrospect, he was was a regular on the Richard Pryor show in the 70s. And I remember my dad watching that all the time. The Richard Pryor show is most likely the first time I ever saw Robin Williams, but I never noticed him. Same with you guys. I, I don't even know if I'd say Mork sticking out or the one that in my childhood stuck out to me was Popeye that he was Popeye and that movie might have sucked but he Boo. was great it did admit it but he was no, great didn't. as Popeye here's the weird thing if if you are older than me you might not even have even have seen Robin Williams first appearance if you saw this movie in the in the first place his very first role was in the 1977 sketch comedy Can I do it until I need glasses now, here's the thing. His scenes were cut. He was in two different sketches, both of which were cut from the film for time, and the fact that they're brutally unfunny. Well, the whole movie's brutally unfunny. What happened was that movie just went out, it did its business, it went away. Then, after Mork and Mindy started to get popular and, and Popeye was ramping up, they, the production company said, we've got Robin Williams, we have his first role. So they edited his scenes back into the movie and re-released Can I Do It Till I Need Glasses? on the poster as the film debut of robin williams so if you saw this in 1977 you didn't see robin williams if you saw it in 1980 or later you did what are your thoughts on that
0: they um studios do that fairly often where uh, a movie will sit on a shelf and then uh, an actor will explode and then they'll release it and they'll put them prominently in the front, even if they were like a little nothing supporting character. And in the case of this, it was released without him and then they shoehorned him back in. So it's it's silly. It's uh, I mean, it's it's kind of cool in a way that it did get released. But then you go and you watch it and apparently it stunk. So uh, but I don't know. I, like I said, I've never seen it.
2: I haven't seen the movie, but that marketing tactic of, oh, hey, we've got their first movie. Let's dump it on everybody now that they're popular. I mean, God, I don't know how many copies of Going Overboard I've seen saying, Adam Sandler.
1: (laughs) Yes. It's
2: like a wall of that in Rubberneck at
1: Walmart. After Can I Do It Till Any Glasses, he moved on to the Richard Pryor show, Laughing. He was on the uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman third spinoff, America Tonight. And then he got his breakout role in Happy Days as Mork from Orc. because what a lot of people don't seem to remember was that not only was Mork and Mindy not only was Mork and Mindy a spinoff of happy days but that's where Mork first appeared as sort of this gremlin this gremlin alien that only front Fonzie could see in a couple episodes and he was so popular that they gave him his own show they even put him on the quickly canceled other happy day spinoff out of the blue that Mork was in that too after Mork and Mindy, he became a superstar. All right, Cecil, let's talk Popeye. His true film debut. I'm not counting Can I Do It Till any Glasses because he was cut out of that. Popeye, I think he stole that movie. That movie sucked ass, but he was fantastic in it.
0: Well, yeah, he did steal the show, but everything about the movie... Like, I, I was never a big Popeye the Cartoon fan, but the movie had mirrored all the elements. Well, actually, I shouldn't say mirrored because that would be the opposite. But uh, they managed to duplicate so many of the things within the cartoon and make them live action. It was one of the best adaptations as far as like visually. They did a really good job tonally with it. They kind of took the cartoon and were able to extend it out to about two hours. And I don't know. Like, I, I think that he had the voice down. He had the look down. The, fa- the mean, facial mannerisms. The facial mannerisms. All his little, like, you know, like all the little you know quirks and, and whatnot. And so, yes, he definitely took it and made it better. I think that um, without him it wouldn't have been as good of a movie, but it's still very enjoyable with him in it. It's nowhere – I wouldn't even put it in the realm of being a bad movie.
2: Robin Williams is awesome in it because hes he embodies Popeye. He gets everything to right with it, except I can't understand a thing he's saying in that movie at all.
1: I don't think you're supposed to, honestly. I think it's supposed to be all mumbles.
2: The entire, but like he's contributing to the plot and having dialogue, and like, what did that screaming red-dressed toothpick of a hag see in this guy?
1: I think more, what did what did he see in her? But that's a different argument. But then Popeye was actually, it 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 might not have been as financially successful as they would have liked, but it still helped push him into superstardom. Now at this point, Mork and Mindy was dying. The cartoon spinoff didn't help anything. Robin Williams was making little guest appearances in movies. He had a couple of uncredited voiceovers in movies. He was on SCTV a couple of times. And then there was the film that I remember him most from this period for is because HBO played the hell out of Moscow on the Hudson. I remember him playing a pretty stereotypical, but I guess for 1984, relatively accurate Russian trying to escape into New York. If either of you guys ever seen Moscow on the Hudson,
2: I did when HBO was just running the hell out of it. I, yeah,
1: so exactly that they ran the shit out of that movie,
2: didn't they? For years, it's like they made it seem like this movie just came out, even though it was like in the late nineties.
1: Yeah, they played the hell out of that.
2: It's actually not a bad movie. Some people like crap on it because it is really melodramatic.
1: It's also really eighties. Very eighties.
2: It's actually it's not that bad. You know.
1: And I'm going off memory here. I think pacing was the largest problem that it had. It, uh, in all honesty, it was not well paced.
2: Well, it's kind of frantic at the beginning and frantic. He's like, I'm this. I'm gonna, you know, defect from Russia. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like really slow romantic comedy.
1: And then it picks up again at the end. That's what I mean. It's not. It's not paced well. It's almost episodic. The first half hour is this. Then the set is him escaping to New York and find in the, you know, the goofy fish out of water stuff. The second act is the love story. And the third act is every is him coming to terms with everything. It is really episodic. I think that's the biggest problem.
2: Yeah, he's got his long drawn out love story with the other one from the citizen class, citizenship class, Maria Conchito Alonzo.
0: Uh, I have seen it, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. But uh, I remember really enjoying it, but I pretty much agree. I remember it kind of l- uh, slowing down a little bit in the middle. I-, I I remember enjoying it.
1: Well, and then around this time, he was he was doing a lot of stuff like they were starting up the comic relief thing, and he, w- he had his HBO stand-up special, and apparently... He and Richard Pryor were still getting along, because at this point, Richard Pryor had his Saturday morning kids show, Pryor's Place. Robin Williams would pop up on that occasionally. So clearly he and Richard Pryor still got along back from the 70s. So it was around this time. Now, the PG-13 rating had just come in. He he tried an early big-budget PG-13 movie called Club Paradise where he is an, an Illinois firefighter who goes off to the Caribbean and buys a resort, and then a, a fake war happens, and the British get involved with Peter O'Toole. and it's, it, The plot is, is really throwaway. What's, what, to me, I like about Club Paradise, the stuff with Rick Moranis and Eugene Levy and Robin Williams. He is clearly making this movie up as he goes along, and it's working. There is not a lot of actors that you can do that for, especially in the 80s.
0: Oh hell yeah, I, I remember. A, am Pardis. I right
1: that he is clearly making this movie up as he goes? It that had He's, he's to not be. part of the script.
0: Yeah, it it really just goes off the rails to the point of where it's like this is. This is silly. If they wrote this the way that it is, then yeah, they they, I don't know either that or there was just a lot of creativity going on with this. I I I think think it was
1: creativity up the nose because this was at the point where Robin Williams had a little bit of a snow problem.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. But the thing was, it was so ridiculous. It was one of those movies where, uh, at the time, a lot of people didn't like it because it of that. It bombed hard in 86. It bombed really hard because it was just, it was too all over the place. But I think uh, it's something, especially now, unfortunately, uh, that he's dead, that a lot of people are going through his back catalog. And this will be one of the ones that I think is rediscovered and people see that it's actually genuinely funny.
2: I haven't seen it, but the fact that it's all made up would not surprise me because Robin Williams is really known for ad-libbing on set.
0: Well, that's why I'm saying I don't have any
1: evidence that 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 is what happened. It just has that vibe of... I mean, you got Eugene Levy and Rick Moranis and a couple of Saturday Night Live alums, and you've got Robin Williams clearly just playing off one another rather than actually reading off of a script. I mentioned he had a bit of a cocaine problem. Cecil, I know you can back me up on this. Robin Williams was so high when he recorded the Max Headroom Christmas Turkey special for Cinemax, he has no memory of, rec- of recording that TV special. That's that's a pretty good cocaine problem, even for the 80s, isn't it, Cecil?
0: Oh, yeah. You can, just you can looking. see he is
1: high as f***
0: in that, he, can't you? He goes in 3,000 different directions. Like, Max Headroom just starts talking, and then he hands it over to Robin Williams. And who knows how long he rambled for that they kind of edited it down. But yeah, he just went all over the place. So he was... You know, yeah, he was definitely on something.
1: Now, around this time, like I said, he was doing a lot of relief work. He was doing comic relief. He was actually doing like some of this is when like We Are the World and all that was going around. He was doing some of those stand up for charity gigs and whatnot outside of comic (laughs) relief. And he was he was very much an activist at this same time. Then this is the movie that made him a superstar which was 1987's Good Morning Vietnam, a film I don't particularly like. I, I, I didn't. It just didn't sit right with me. And then when I find out that the guy he's playing in that says, yeah, not a damn thing in that movie actually happened because I would have been court-martialed after the first one of the things he pulls in this movie, kind of pissed me off because you know how I feel about just making up a movie and calling it a true story. But that's got nothing to do with Robin Williams. Just the movie never hit me.
2: Good Morning Vietnam is a great movie. However, it's always considered like the greatest comedy ever. I'm like, no, no, it's not a comedy. It's a really serious war movie that's about a funny guy. Because there's too much drama in it for it to be considered a comedy. Even though it is funny, I just have trouble with it being called a comedy.
0: Like I said earlier, I I think that um, this is... Really, for me, the definitive Robin Williams role. He was so good in this, and uh, I'm with Alex. People a lot of times will call this, uh, you know, one of the greatest comedies ever, and it is very funny. Like when he is on a roll, there, like you're laughing your ass off. But there are some tremendously sad moments. There's some really heavy drama in it, and that was kind of the the thing was that this guy was using his voice to express and show all the horrors and stuff that was going on and stuff that was getting covered up granted it wasn't it may not have been factual but it still made for a very good and compelling movie
1: well and then after that he 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 had his first collaboration with Terry Gilliam as King of the Moon in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen The Tremendous Bomb now, I haven't seen this movie since 88, so I honestly don't remember whether it's any good or not. I didn't, I, didn't even, I didn't even remember, honestly, that Robin Williams was in it till I'm looking at his IMDb page.
2: Actually, Baron Munchausen is a wonderful movie, except for that part where it stops dead in its tracks and you have this f***ing moon. That just talks and is off having moon sex and making horrible moon jokes. Which is Robin Williams! <laughs> it's horrible when Robin Williams is on the movie. It's just, get, get off the moon! This is terrible. Go back to the
0: cool stuff in the movie. It's one that I haven't seen in a while, but it is just an oddball Terry Gilliam film. I think it's, that's kind of an
1: oxymoron.
0: Yeah, it kind of is, but it, it's, it's bizarre, it's weird. The Robin Williams stuff was kind of odd and it it did feel a, a little bit out of place but still i i liked it but i like i said i haven't seen it in a while so um my my memory is a little rusty on it And now he was doing little bit
1: parts, uncredited parts, favors, and whatnot in other movies. So like I said, we're not doing a full filmography, so I'm skipping over some stuff. Then we come to 1989's Dead Poets Society. I know he got a lot of critical acclaim, and I actually think he was quite good. I actually think all the performances were quite good. This movie was a sleeping pill. This movie bored the hell out of me. I do not like Dead Poets Society, Robin Williams or no Robin Williams. I've actually never
0: seen it. Which okay. apparently is internet blasphemy. Dead Plot Society. That movie's yeah, pretty big. much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that movie. So are you ugh. siding
0: with me on that?
2: I'm siding with you on that one. It's maybe a wonderful movie, but it's like the English Patient.
1: Yeah. I, I try it to watch drags it. Just on and on, and then you you look at your watch and you go, "We're 45 minutes in. Nothing's happened yet. How are Can we 45 you... minutes into nothing?
2: Just go to YouTube and watch the clips. That way you'll get the pop culture references. That reference this movie
1: well and then we go to Cadillac Man which I haven't seen since 1990 I remember liking it going off of a 24 year old memory I'm gonna
0: say I liked it then same thing I remember liking it then but that was a long time ago
2: same thing I remember you know Cinemax used to play it like every day in the afternoon during the summer so I watched a lot of it but I don't remember a damn thing about it
0: I'm
1: 50-50 on this film. I think for Awakenings, Robin Williams is fantastic. Robert De Niro is fantastic. Actually, the entire cast is fantastic. Again, this was a true story that was almost completely made up. The film does not work in the second half. I think the first half of the film is a fantastic movie. And then the second half, when everything starts to go bad and the El Dopa and all that is not working anymore... The film changes tone so abruptly you almost get whiplash. I'm, I'm 50-50 on Awakenings.
2: I'm kind of with you, except I wasn't much liking it. I mean, everyone's great, but the first half of the movie, I'm like, so it's it's flowers for Algernon,
1: basically. His next collaboration with Terry Gilliam, a film I adore, The Fisher King. The Fisher King is just a fantastic movie on every level. Knowing both Terry Gilliam and Robin Williams, I'm going to bet that, and and seeing some of Jeff Bridges' reactions to some of Robin Williams in The Fisher King, I have a feeling he was not following the script much in this either. Robin Williams is a crazy homeless man in New York that helps ex-shock jock Jeff Bridges get back on his feet and find a reason to live. And what I find funny is Jeff Bridges is fantastic in this. Robin Williams is fantastic in this. Michael Jeter, the entire cast is great, and Mercedes Rule does do a great job. It's a little insulting that Mercedes Rule is the only one who gets an Oscar for The Fisher King. It's a movie that's both funny, violent, and very, very honest. This is a movie
0: that I thought I saw, but then I went and was reading into it a little bit, and I was like, oh, crap. I never actually saw this movie, so uh, I have it on my list of uh, things I really need to check out, but, uh, you know, just haven't had the time right now. Ordinary Peoples. It's kind of a big titty, spread cheeky kind of thing. Excuse me, I just want to borrow him for a minute.
2: It is a wonderful movie. I watched it, God, when it like first came out, and it was too much for me. it, it like... Twelve.
1: Well, it also kind of crosses genres because Robin Williams is crazy in this, like schizophrenic, and he fantasizes that he's a knight in ye times of old, and he's got like armor made out of garbage cans, and he's fighting imaginary giant black knights on flaming horses. So there's a bunch of fantasy sequences in the middle of this bum story in New York.
2: And that horrible stuff that made him turn into crazy homeless man. That's a tough scene to watch.
1: When yeah, you, you know find what, out talk. why he goes crazy, it really does hit you. And then it's a very well-put-together movie. Yes, You, you and, need to see this,
2: Cecil. You and need as far do. as Terry Gilliam goes, this movie is pretty much it's, – it's level. Yeah, the main character hallucinates a lot, but you're, you're with him. You understand these are hallucinations. It's not as bizarre as Terry Gilliam normally gets.
1: And then after this, we move on to Hook, a movie I despised on every level. So I got nothing to say about Robin Williams and
0: Hook. Yeah, um, I know Hook is one of those movies that people love. I never really liked it that much.
2: I don't have any problems with Hook. I'm, I'm not going to come defend it. I don't love it that much, but it's not
1: bad. And then after Hook, he had an appearance that I didn't realize, along with Dustin Hoffman. Have you guys ever seen the Bloom County TV special, A Wish for Wings That Work, the Christmas special from
2: 1991? Nope.
1: I didn't know Bloom County did a special. Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman are two of the flightless birds in the group therapy session. Both uncredited. But it's clearly Robin Williams. He just wants to he just wants to be an albatross!
2: It was so. probably recorded on the set of Hook in between takes.
1: He and Christian Slater were the only reason I watched Fern Gully. My wife made me watch it, and I was against it until I'm like, Robin Williams is in this? Christian Slater? you know what, I'll watch Ferngully. I didn't like it, but I watched it.
2: I was dragged to it because I was 12, and all the other kids were watching if you wanted to be cool. Even at 12, you had to watch Ferngully. Oh, God, that was terrible.
1: I would honestly say it's arguably his most famous role, and that is the voice of the genie in Aladdin. I don't know if, if it had been a different voice, if Aladdin would have been as good as it was, because it still was pretty moody and pretty well-written. I thought he was fantastic as the genie. Yes, it got a little pop culture referential, and that was a about, little, the, the, that was a about the defining characteristic of the genie, but Robin Williams played it so well, you didn't care.
2: I could see a, a conversation going on when they're casting this movie. Let's get that guy from, from Gully to voice the genie. Tim Curry? No, God, no, no, the funny one. Robin Williams as the genie is probably his most famous role. I mean... It's hard to see anybody else in that role. I just cannot imagine it. And I'm pretty sure all of the pop culture references were were Robin Williams ad-libbing.
0: Oh, I, I actually uh, just watched Aladdin again recently because uh, it was on uh, Disney Channel. And uh, it, it's still, it's terrific. But this is one where absolutely, positively, it is Robin Williams' show. Because it's, it's good. It's very good. The animation, uh, it's just wonderful. But when he comes in, and just takes over and is just on point. Like almost everything coming out of him is hilarious. So uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed seeing it again because I hadn't seen it in quite a long time. And I was a little worried because I knew that it was very pop culture-y. Does it in such a way that even though the references are all outdated, it's still done in a way that's very funny and just, it's just manic and energetic. It's and so it's rapid really, fire. It's, it's one after the other, and it's just very enjoyable. It's yeah, it's a damn good movie. And then we've got the movie
1: Toys, which I didn't like, and no one else did either. The critics hated it, and it bombed at the box office, so that didn't help his career.
2: I watched Toys in the theaters and hated it. I'm As surprised. You should have. It says the movie's 118 minutes. That thing felt like it was 118 years long. The movie is so bloated and. Then I watched it about a year ago because Mike Robinson wanted to discuss it on an episode. And I could see that what Barry Levinson was trying for, unfortunately, didn't quite get there. But
0: it's very, very, very creative. They had a lot of good ideas and the the stuff that they built within that movie. But you have to admit Alex is right. It's bloated. Oh, well, well, no, well, that was I was kind of getting to that. I was like, from a visual standpoint, it is a lot of eye candy. There is a really cool, interesting, neat visuals going on. All these uh, just uh, interesting ideas thrown at you. And it's all wrapped up within this incredibly bloated, boring movie that should have been like an hour and a half long with like a tighter script and just a little bit. I don't it just was missing something. Like I don't hate it, but it, because I I like that they they had a lot of creativity going on, but it should have been more more Gremlins 2 and less what it ended up being. And like I said it
1: bombed, but then Robin Williams rebounded quite well with what I think is arguably one of his worst films, I despised Miss Doubtfire. I hated the movie then, I can't stand it now. I hate the fact that this movie is well-remembered by people. That people still like this terrible... I mean, Miss D- Doubtfire, the plot, would have been trite in a 70s sitcom. Who the hell thought a multi-million dollar mid-90s movie needed to be
0: this? Miss Doubtfire sucked. I thought it was funny. I, I of course you did. No, I don't like... I, I don't like really... I like it. It's it's you know, it's not something I'm going to sit down and watch every time. But if I'm flipping cable channels and it's on and it's um, one of the scenes with Robin Williams, you know, going back and forth with um, Pierce Brosnan, I'll leave it on and I'll laugh. But, it, you know, it's not something I'll watch over and over again. I do think that it got overhyped. But I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't have any issue with it.
2: Miss Doubtfire I loved when I first watched it. And I still watch it from time to time, and there's parts that make me smile. But then the rest of it, because they used to play this every Saturday at work, and Kevin and I would watch it and get to talking about, this movie is horribly morally bankrupt. It's like, this also price...
1: trite. Isn't the plot straight out of a Three's Company episode? Yeah,
2: it is. But, like, everything about it, okay, so Dad's going to dress as. And drag to defy the law and see his kids and he has that speech at the end and i'm like i'm with the judge here you <laughs> he got off easy at the end of that movie everything in that movie just feels morally bankrupt and then pierce brosnan's kind of a nice guy and he's like oh he's the villain because he's the not robin williams
0: i will give the movie credit for at least not having a particularly happy ending like sally field still had custody of the kids and it was like the only thing was they were going to kind of work out a little bit more time that he could spend with them so it wasn't like the happy ending that they were expecting it wasn't you know he got custody of the kids because of this or they got back together or whatever yeah, I'll let you maybe see the kids a little bit more, and that was it. So I at least applaud them for not having the total super sickening sweet happy ending. Well, speaking of a not super sweet sickening happy ending,
1: both in real life and in the show, then we come to Robin Williams' Homicide Life on the Street episode, Bop Gun. I'm going off memory here, I haven't seen this since the 90s, but I seem to remember him being a tourist that comes into town with his wife and kids into Baltimore, and... His wife and kids get killed in a random street shooting. He is trying to deal with it. I can't say.
0: What, you think it should be easy? Some sort of snap?
1: Take
2: another look. Take your time. It all happened so fast. Yeah, better bet someone murdered your wife. You'd remember all the faces, wouldn't you? But I'm just an average guy. All I remember is the gun. I just stood there, staring at it. I just stood there and I watched him kill my wife. I didn't do anything. Yeah, but you, you would have done something, wouldn't you? I'm not saying I would have done Oh, you're not saying anything, but you're thinking it, aren't you? I mean, hell, everybody's thinking it. Even my own son thinks it, like there's a whole list of things that you're supposed to do before your wife. You know, maybe you grab the gun or you, you shield her. And if you can't do anything, at least remember their faces, so when the police show you a bunch of pictures, you can point them out. Here! 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 No. That's not
0: the way we do things here, Mr. Ellison. We need your help in finding the men that murdered your wife. You tell me who did
2: it. I'll identify them.
1: Now, here's the problem. He is great in it. It's a, it's a completely dramatic role. There's nothing funny about the episode at all. This was one of those times where he was really trying to stretch his legs into pure drama. The problem was NBC. This was supposed to be the ninth episode of the show. Homicide Life on the Street was an intensely continuity-heavy show. You had to see every episode in order. Well, where this episode would have aired would have been after Mrs. Doubtfire was out of theaters. So they aired the episode a month early so they could capitalize on Miss Doubtfire still being in theaters, so all of a sudden the fans are going, What the hell? Why is Cresetti dead? Why is is that character blind now? What the hell's going on? And then back to the regular continuity. That's not Robin Williams' fault, but that will always piss me off about his appearance, was they moved it up and screwed the continuity just so they could hit it while Miss Doubtfire was still in theaters.
2: That's kind of sleazy because he's not playing Mrs. Doubtfire in this movie.
1: I think it was more of a, we have Robin Williams on Homicide Life on the Street tonight.
2: And for something that's continuity heavy, that's kind of horrible to do. God, could you imagine if they did that with the very continuity heavy shows now, like The Walking Dead or something?
0: Oh, that's infuriating. But it's it's just typical of the studios. It's like they're they're more about capitalizing on the success of something else and trying to piggyback on that than maybe keeping the fans that they already have happy because they just ruined the, the show for a bunch of people. Because now it's like, all right, well, what the hell? You know, we know that this is going to happen, uh, but we don't know how it happened. And that's, that's idiotic, but typical.
1: Well, and then after that, I, I actually didn't even remember him. He has an uncredited role in Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, as the very energetically named John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. I don't remember him in that movie. Do either of you? I barely remember that movie. Same. I I, I barely remember that, so let alone remembering him in it. Well, and then he had Jumanji, which I have not seen, so moving on to you guys.
2: Jumanji sucks. The best thing about it is if you go look at Scarlett Johansson's audition video for Jumanji. She's not actually in the movie. The director passed on her audition because her audition's terrible.
0: It was fun and uh biggest issue is that the CGI just wasn't there yet. This is 1995 CGI. 1990 Now the thing was the animals and everything they moved really well and it looked good. It's just that the lighting wasn't right so all the animals they they just had that it stuck out so it kind of looked like they were pasted on it It was fun. Like, I kind of, if you want to get fancy, you could be like, oh, well, they look like that because they're not really real. They're coming out of the board game. And then you can kind of be like, okay, well, it's not just because the CGI wasn't quite ready yet. But uh, I I think it's fun. I I laughed a lot. It's entertaining. It's a cool movie. I I don't, I have no issue with it at all. I like it.
2: I can agree with you on the lighting because the movie feels confining. It doesn't feel like there's this whole world there. It feels like you're squished, that whole movie.
1: And then, then we then we move on to Francis Ford Coppola. I can't say it's his biggest mistake, because he's made many. One from the heart. But uh, Jack. Jack was, I don't know, I enjoyed Jack the first time I saw it. And then the second time I saw it, I went, wait a minute. This is both mean-spirited, this is both wrong, and I just don't like the fact, I just, I don't know, something didn't sit right with me
0: when I started to think about the movie Jack. Everything in the world is better than Jack. <laughs> Jack is awful. I only ever saw it once, and I, I don't really. I, I thought it was okay. I don't really have a problem. You know, I have no feelings either way on it. Well, and then he he did a couple
1: other movies that are kind of inconsequential. Then he did what might be his second famous, most famous movie, and that would be Flubber, a movie. I don't think anyone will be surprised that I despised from second one to second end. I hated Flubber. So I just think it was, it was a bad movie. Robin Williams looked like he was having a ton of fun, but that does not make it a good movie. I hated
0: Flubber. I thought that this was another attempt to put just way too much CGI into a movie, uh, whereas it felt natural um, well, to a certain degree within Jumanji because they needed to do the animals, and it probably would have been a complete disaster if they were to have all those different animals together in the film. But in Flubber, it was just, all right, well, we're going to give personality to all these little pieces of green goo. and They were knockoff schmooze, and you know it. They were knockoff schmooze, exactly. And I. I Gloop did and not Gleep like were in it. a corner crying. Right.
2: Oh, Flubber's terrible. There's that scene where all the little flubber shits or dancing that goes on
1: no we're gonna start calling them not schmooze
2: (laughs) they're little flubber shits and they dance for like 20 (laughs) minutes
1: oh my god it goes on and on
2: it's a remake of a movie that wasn't really that good to begin with and they made it worse
1: yeah it it, it's a bad movie but then he rebounded quite well by winning an oscar for goodwill hunting and i think he deserved it because The movie was fantastic, and he was fantastic in it. I think Robin Williams absolutely deserved his Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. I think it's kind of ironic that he gets his first Oscar for a dramatic role when he's known as a comedian. That, I don't know, that's kind of a backhanded compliment, isn't it?
2: At the time, because he hadn't done a whole lot of dramatic work. True, his dramatic work was excellent, like in The
1: Fisher King. And um, homicide, he won. He, I, I think he either won or was nominated for an Emmy for his homicide episode.
2: And some of his best performances that Robin Williams done are in the years after Goodwill Hunting. There were well, some terrible ones.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I'll
0: argue with that, but
2: I mean, immediately following Goodwill Hunting, there were some dark times.
0: <laughs> oh, Goodwill Hunting's terrific. Uh, that was a movie that uh, I. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was because uh, it came out and because it's Ben Affleck and Matt Damon script.
1: But How... I love Who Ben Affleck that... and
0: Matt Damon. Yeah, I don't they're have... both known as intellectuals, right? But I mean, the the thing is, it, it's like it just kind of goes to show that you don't know what you can expect out of someone. So you know, I had no issue with either of them. Of course, you know, uh, so that's why uh, I. I. It's not so much that I. I wasn't expecting it to be good because it was done by then. I, wasn't, I didn't know what to think because a lot of times when something comes out and it's hyped to the degree that Goodwill Hunting was hyped, very seldom will hold up to the hype. And this is one where I thought that it genuinely held up to the hype. It actually exceeded the hype for me, and I loved it. I thought it was a terrific movie.
1: Well, and then we've got What Dreams May Come, a movie that's fucking terrible. I was going to say it's disappointing because I've read the story it's based on, and that's really good. And the, the movie was another, hey, we can do CGI. We can't do it well, but this is the new tool we're going to play. In all honesty, if they had done What Dreams May Come with, with straight line animation like they would have had to do in 1984, I think it would have been better because it would have looked less awkward than the awkward CGI in the movie. What Dreams May Come, that's a dark movie. And Robin Williams, the movie sucks. I'm not arguing with you, Alex. He's really damn good in it.
2: What Dreams May Come is one of the most vilest pieces of crap I've ever seen. Oh, no, yeah, the no, no, that's the sucks. next
1: film we're going to get no, to. No,
2: no. What Dreams May Come has, it makes up its own fucking version of heaven. It, it's terrible. It's like his dead kids are now an Asian flight attendant and a black man. Because you can lie in heaven, you know. That's just what they let you do. God, and the fact that with the whole shit with his, like, his wife committed suicide. But if somebody really loves you enough, you can get out of hell. Like, what is this? This movie is just doing all this stupid bullshit. It's the, one of the most retarded f***ing stories I've ever seen. And f*** Robin Williams and Kuba Gooden Jr. for trying to sell this piece of shit story as hard as they do in this
0: movie.
1: All right, Cecil, so Alex is a little worked up. What are your thoughts?
0: Uh, I need to see it again because uh, I. The only thing that I remember is it being really, really, really colorful and a lot of CGI. and the bad CGI
1: the, and the, the bad that's where the color comes from
0: exactly. So I I I, I do want to see it again because I I remember it being interesting, but uh, I just I don't remember a whole lot from it.
1: Now, Alex, you might think that's vile. I think Patch Adams is one of the most vile films I've ever seen. Not only is it a terrible movie in and of itself. Not only is it a terribly made movie in and of itself, the fact that it's also based on a true story, in quotes, where the actual Patch Adams has distanced himself saying, whoa, 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 that ain't me, and that ain't my story that you're seeing there. But the fact that they, in real life, Patch's best friend, who is male, does get murdered. Well, in the movie, the fact that they would change that male character to a female character to give the movie Patch Adams a romantic interest so he could feel the loss more is just pissing on reality. Patch Adams is a vile movie with no, zero redeeming qualities to it. And I actually got mad at Robin Williams for agreeing so enthusiastically to do this piece of shit.
2: Not only that, the, the movie was positively reviewed by people as being this great touching funny thing and even then the movie I'm like this is vile which is why my favorite part in Cecil B. Demented is where they go to see the director's cut of Patch Adams and there's all these stupid f***ing people in the audience crying over deleted
1: scenes. I purposely skipped it. It also commits the crime of ultimate laziness. The movie takes place in this 1970s. Besides hairstyles, you'd never know that, where they have digital answering machines, 90s model cars, modern televisions. It's the 1970s via – we tell you it's the 1970s, so just buy it. We're not actually going to actually pretend to make this look like the 1970s, which to me is just lazy filmmaking.
2: It's an alternate reality, 1970s. Built as a
1: true story.
2: That's why Patch Adams' friend is now a woman, and they have – future TVs.
1: And then we've got Jacob the Liar, which now obviously none of us have seen The Day the Clown Cried, but from the footage I have seen, is Jacob the Liar, I know it's a remake of, an, of another film, but is it kind of an unofficial remake of Day the Clown Cried? There's a lot of similarities there, just from the stuff we have seen about Day.
2: Life is beautiful exploitation. Because Life is Beautiful, the Roberto Benigni came out, won a bunch of awards. It was about, oh, funny guy during the, the Holocaust. And then Jacob the Liar kind of takes the same route. It came out during a heavy period of Holocaust exploitation films.
1: Well, And then we got Bicentennial Man, a movie that, I don't know, if it wasn't played so straight, it might not have been as bad. It's a movie that I think thought it was a comedy, that everyone thought it was a comedy except the director. Does that make sense?
2: That makes sense. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty much a good way of summing it up.
1: And then we've got his cameo in AI, which besides the fact that that movie is terrible, his cameo is honestly distracting because it's so much more cartoonish than the rest of the movie. The, again, it's a whiplash in tone. Then he returns back to hard, hard drama. I thought Robin Williams was fantastic in One Hour Photo. He... Really, he sold the part the part of Seymour Parrish so well. I thought One Hour Photo was, is easily one of the most underrated films of the 2000s. For one reason, because no one saw it. But also the fact that you go, Robin Williams is a serial killer, kinda. Eh. Yeah, it, it kinda.
2: If you see the movie, it sorta makes sense. It's a great movie. Robin Williams puts in a wonderful performance. Like, I could never look at robin williams the same after that movie like he was in one hour photo we got to see him pooping in somebody's house
0: follow that cecil (laughs) oh that's a tough one (laughs) uh yeah one hour photo is is terrific if you haven't seen it definitely that that's one of the robin williams movies if you were on the fence about him and his acting abilities then that movie definitely sells it and
1: then he moved on to death to smoochie which was critics hated it but it made money
2: great black comedy it's got a huge cult following sure the the critics hated it but it took some time it was ahead of its time i guess i'll we'll say
1: and then and then he went back to drama with insomnia but i have not seen that one so i will defer to both to either of you on
0: insomnia
2: Yonsomnia.
0: my wife loves it um i have a friend of mine who loved it uh i still have to see it well and then he, he did you know some stuff
1: here and there some tv appearances here and there Then he was in stuff, forgettable, forgettable movies like Robots and RV and then Man of the Year, which we've discussed before about not necessarily being a bad movie, but not being the movie we were sold. And then Happy Feet, and then he finally kind of got back into the public eye with Night at the Museum. No surprise, I hate it. Yeah,
2: I I don't like Night at the Museum. It's not my go-to role for Robin Williams there.
1: Well, see, at this point, Robin Williams... I'm not going to say this is what caused him to commit suicide, but you'll notice he doesn't really have a whole lot of hits after this. And stuff like Man of the Year and RV, he he gave an interview where he said he was basically ashamed of the movies he had to do to keep working. So I think he was not being offered the roles anymore. For instance, things like License to Wed. He looks miserable in that movie. He looks like he doesn't want to be in License to Wed. But then again, well, that's because nobody did. But then again, you look at his appearance again as a serial killer on Law and Order Special Victims Unit and you go, he looks like he's having a good time, a dark time, but a good time. <laughs> he seems to at this point, he seemed to look like he was enjoying more the the dramatic roles, but most of what he was being offered were comedic roles. I think that's what kind of ate at him. You know, he had to take License to Wed which it's still unreleased, at least in America. Worked with Terry Gilliam again. He is uncredited in a role in The Zero Theorem. Obviously, it's not out yet, but I, the trailer for The Zero Theorem, I want to see this movie probably more than any other film that has yet to come out that I've seen any footage from. I think Zero Theorem looks fantastic, and I'm kind of happy to know that Robin Williams has a small role in it as the Church of Batman the Redeemer billboard spokesman. You tell me that just just, just doesn't sound fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well.
2: I would, yeah. My interest is piqued.
1: Here's, I think, one of the biggest problems that that he had at this point in his career. TV shows like the crazy ones. I've never seen it, so I'm not going to talk about the content of the show. I never even knew this show existed. And judging by the ratings and the write-up that Entertainment Weekly gave it, no one else did either. He had a primetime sitcom on CBS for a full 22-episode season, and nobody watched. How did Robin Williams stop becoming a name to the point where the crazy ones, good or bad, could just slip through the cracks like that, and nobody knew about this damn show?
2: Well, it was TV. It was network TV at that, because cable is what everyone's watching nowadays. It's really sad because now I actually am interested in seeing the show, if it was good or not, you know? I've um, never
1: even seen a promo, like I said. I didn't find out the show existed until after his suicide. I'm like, whoa, whoa, he had a sitcom?
2: Yeah, it lasted one season. Um, people were like, oh, well, that's why Robin Williams killed himself,
0: because his sitcom failed. I'm
2: like, well, no, I'm sure that's not
0: why. Yeah, I'm actually just finding out about this now. How the did Robin Williams have a sitcom on
1: CBS? It's not like they even buried it or anything,
0: you know? Well, it just goes to show that like they, they put absolutely no marketing into this. I mean, it, it, uh, God, like I, I seriously, I never knew this existed. Check it out now. Yeah. I, I had no idea this existed.
1: And then now with his suicide, there are still, and you, this is going to be the very telling part on the studios of how they tread these next four movies. He still has four movies that he's worked on that have not come out yet. He's got The Angriest Man in Brooklyn, A Merry Friggin' Christmas, Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, and Absolutely Anything, where he voices a dog. Now, here's the thing. With these being the last Robin Williams movies, it's going to be interesting to see how they market these. Because are they going to try and market these as Robin Williams movies? Because, for, for instance, from what I've read about Absolutely Anything, he's part of an ensemble. He's, he's the voice of Dennis the dog. Are they going to market this as Robin Williams in Absolutely Anything? Or are they going to be tasteful about it and just kind of, Robin Williams is in this along with XXXXX.
2: How they're going to handle them is, well, it's Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. That's already made. It's in the can. People are already expecting him to be in it. It's the same way that we're having Philip Seymour Hoffman in the next two Hunger Games movies years after he's died. Because people know that this is what he did before he died. I just hope they don't have tasteless marketing. That's going to be like Robin Williams
1: and Ben Stiller that's see that's what i'm kind of afraid of is almost the reverse of can i do it till i need glasses you know
0: yeah here's exactly what they're gonna do they're going to because um, what do you know you don't
1: know shit about marketing
0: <laughs> yeah oh i forgot i don't know shit about marketing man. what they're gonna do is with the night of the museum they're gonna be like and robin williams in his last comedic role and then for uh, is if the angriest man in Brooklyn and that's a drama, Robin Williams in his last dramatic role, so, a powerful thing you won't want to miss. If they, well, I mean, if all four of them are comedies, then they'll probably whichever one they'll will be the last one. They'll <laughs> be like, you know, Robin Williams in his last comedic role. But the other ones, they'll be like in Robin Williams in a comedic role. You won't want to miss. They'll, Robin... they'll they're going to milk it.
2: Normally, when you release a movie, you want to be the first one to get there. In this case, they want to be the last. We want to hold on so we can say it's his last movie.
0: We've got
1: Robin Williams' last footage! Yeah. We're
2: going to hold on to Night at the Museum 3 for until the next generation.
1: So, to, to wrap up, what I want to say is, I thought Robin Williams was a great actor. He was a great comic who who had some issues. For instance, like one of the things that always irritated me was whenever he would show up on Real Time with Bill Maher, he seemed to have this thing that like whenever the camera was on him he was on they'd be talking you know serious deep political or social issues they'd go to robin williams and he'd make a goofy voice or start mugging for the camera in the in real life he wasn't able to put the drama on that always annoyed me whenever i saw him on real time or any kind of talk show where he always thought he needed to be a comic but i think he he was a fun great funny comedian he was a great dramatic actor and it's it's too bad he made the choice that he did on August 11th. I think films are going to suffer for it.
0: The, the thing that I'll always kind of take with Rob Williams, the thing I remember, is when he first started, when I was younger, he was the, for lack of a better description, he was the gross-out comedian. He was the comedian that, like, my mother wouldn't let me watch because, you know, oh, he's so filthy and he just says all kinds of crazy stuff. And I always thought that he was hilarious. And it's a shame that as he got older and he still was very funny, but it became very clear that he was happier making dramatic films. And unfortunately, he had done so much comedy over the years that the studios just did not want to give him those dramatic roles. That were for genuinely good movies. So that's why he was always doing these smaller films and was terrific in them. And then the bigger films he was doing were movies like old dogs and stuff that were just paycheck movies, paycheck movies that were just horrible. And uh, it's kind of a shame uh, that I'm sure that was eating away at him. I don't want to say that that it, it. it's very possible that, like you said, that was a direct correlation, that was a link because he was he was doing and probably doubting himself because he's like, you know, this is what I want to do, but this isn't what's bringing home the money that I should be making, and it's just a shame that he really wasn't a, more or less allowed to make what he was what he wanted to make. So uh, I've always thought that um, he was a terrific actor. He was one of the funniest guys alive. And it is a shame that he unfortunately had to make a lot of garbage, but he made some seriously tremendously good films over his career and he will be missed.
2: He did a lot of great work, both comedy and drama. True, there were some misses, but nobody's without mistakes. And... He was so widely loved by everybody that yeah, as Cecil said he's going to be missed, and you know I'm miss going to miss. And that day when I that August 11th, I was down that whole day.
1: I don't really have a segue to go out on a high note, so
0: Cecil, people can find you where? You can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com.
2: You can find me at geekjuicemedia.com.
0: And
1: you can find me at 1201beyond.com or contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com.
2: So slashed and torn